Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy today's guest, uh, Jim Thompson, uh, CEO, founder of Positive Coach Alliance, positivecoach.org. Uh, one of the most important organizations in coaching. Very, very important because they really have focused on the youth in our country. Uh, They've really created some incredible programs, as you're going to hear from Jim later on. 3,000 freaking workshops in one year. Is that amazing? 3,000. They've really focused on changing the world through youth sports and stuff. And I I just am really proud. They have an incredible group. Uh, You'll hear his story of how he founded it. Uh, You know, unfortunately... You know, I wish sometimes that I had an all-access YouTube thing or a Facebook thing where I could actually take you behind the scenes of our conversations sometimes with people before and after I do the podcast because he and I had 45 minutes beforehand that was off the charts. I wish I was recording, but he's a really neat guy, a uh, very bright guy, but most importantly loves uh, coaches, loves positive coaching as a way of coaching, and uh, his really has a huge influence over youth sports today. Uh, so I think you're going to, after you listen to, you know, uh, you know, to the things he says, I, I really encourage a lot of you that whether you're at the high school or college level to look into seeing ways that you can support them, either through being a trainer for them. And a lot of college coaches I know are trainers for PCA. Uh, gives you a great foundation in leadership, uh, culture, and things of that nature. Uh, or uh, from a standpoint of financially supporting them. A lot of my friends have helped start chapters in their city. So it's a great organization, great people involved, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. A little different than what we normally do, but nonetheless incredibly important. After our sponsors, we'll hear from Jim Thompson. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. This is Brendan Sir back for our podcast with Jim Thompson, the CEO of Positive Coach Alliance out in the Bay Area of the U.S. And uh, Jim, what an honor it is to have you on today. Really, honor is mine. I'm really, uh, really excited about this. Well, you know, I think uh, I think one of the things is that, you know, you started, you know, one of the things I was fascinated about, and I've been following you since its inception, is, in, in, you know, around 98 when you started, 
you know, you're teaching at Stanford in the business school, correct? Yes, I was an administrator and a lecturer also. Okay. And so what was the impulse to start this? Well, I had, uh, I got into teaching. My mom was a teacher, and the one thing I knew I never would do in my life was teach. <laughs> but um, then I needed a job. I dropped out of college and didn't know what I wanted to do and got an offer to work in a school for emotionally disturbed behavior problem kids and found out I just loved it. I loved the challenge working with these kids. <clears throat> Met my wife at the school. We both went back and got our teaching degrees. <clears throat> and, you know, about seven, eight, nine years later, I'm a, a first-year business student at Stanford Business School. And um, my son starts playing sports. And the, the school that I'd worked at where I met my wife was based on, they didn't use this term, but it was really based on relentless positivity. Mm -hmm. That these kids are very troubled. Some of them have been, been molested and abused and neglected, and they were bussed in from all around the city of St. Paul, Minnesota. And that re, that diet of relentless positivity just caused them to flower. And then fast forwarding, now I'm, I'm at Stanford, and the kids on my son's team that I'm watching um, are... You know, their parents are Stanford PhD students or high-tech executives, and there's so much negativity that they're not performing very well. And so I thought, wow, I, I've always loved sports. And the coaching uh, the next year, when I realized I wasn't going to flunk out of uh, Stanford Business School, I started coaching my son's team, and, and I've been hooked by it ever since. And then the question is, how can you, when I had success, with my own team and parents would come to me at the end of the year and say, how can I get my kids on your team next year? Mm. Um, it's like, okay, there's something going on here. Then I got a, a high school teaching job and wrote a book about that. Um, my first book, positive coaching, but then I wrote a book called shooting the dark tales of coaching and leadership about coaching at the high school level. And what started out to seem like a hobby well, turned out into a calling like at a certain point, it's like, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to take my Stanford MBA and go into business or government or whatever. Maybe I'm supposed to uh, try to make a difference in youth sports, which is, I think, one of the most important institutions in our society. It's not usually seen that way, but uh, I think it is one of the most important. So, how long once you you started working there? I mean, working with kids and stuff. How long did it take you to do the outset of the, at least a visualization of PCA? Uh, how long did it take you to, you know, put that together? Well, the um, there's this line from Out of Africa uh, that goes something like, "God made the world round, so we we won't see what's coming around the bend." <laughs> um, and I had I had no idea what that this was going to be a, you know, a lifetime focus. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, you know, I started teaching a class at, uh, with Stanford's continuing studies program. This is not for Stanford students. All Stanford students can take it. It's really for people in the community. So a lot of business leaders and people like that took the, my coaching and leadership classes. Gotcha. <clears throat> and I, I started talking about this idea I had about, uh, very ill form, but, um, you know, to, to try to make a change in the culture of youth sports. And people came out of the woodwork, people in my class saying, well, I want to help you. And, and Nancy uh, Wong, for example, um, who used to work for um, 
the first George Bush, when he was vice president, she said, well, do you have a business plan? And I said, well, that, that would be a good idea. <laughs> and then she said she would help me write it. And she, she helped me write the business plan. So it's, it's kind of like I kind of declared myself that I wanted to do this. And it was an idea that stimulated so many uh, passions and so many people that I got so much help that at a certain point, in fact, I, I, um, the, the, just before Christmas that first year, I, I met with a, a businessman and asked him for a, a pretty big gift to start Positive Coaching Alliance. And he, uh, he said he wouldn't do that much, but he did half as much, which is still a pretty big gift. And I'm driving home, uh, it's now Christmas vacation, so uh, I've got you know, a week or two off, and I'm thinking, well, it's going to be the best Christmas vacation of my life. <clears throat> it turned out to be the worst Christmas vacation of my life. And it took me a while to realize what was going on. It's like, now I couldn't back out of it. He had given <laughs> me money. I, I had convinced him I could do this. <laughs> I hadn't quite convinced myself yet. Um, and so it, I was just miserable because it's like, man, I, I can't. I have to do this now. So um, I'm not sure I you responded to your question exactly. Yeah. But it, it was a, a process over time of... Um, I often feel that clarity comes from mucking around in the in the mucky water. You just got to muck around, and you muck around, and you keep at it, and keep at it. Eventually, uh, you get some clarity. I'm sure the folks at Stanford and my friends I know, and I speak at uh, Ivy League schools, get a little upset at me. But I tell them the most over when I speak to their students. I tell them the two most, especially the business school students. I tell them the two most overrated things uh, are business plans and resumes. And I never have hired anyone with a res- with their resume because I don't know if anything done there is true. You know, I don't know. Every I've never seen anyone give me a bad resume, and every business yeah, right. plan makes a, <laughs> a, a makes a trillion dollars. But we both know the guys that have been most successful in companies. You know, whether it be you know our friend Gates or you know or the, they didn't even have a business plan. They just went and, you know, Steve Ballmer has been a friend of mine. He didn't have a bit. They just went and they, they just did it. And, man, you know, but, you know, but everyone wants a business plan. But so when you start now. Well, look, yeah, yeah. No, let me let me respond to that because um, I, I can't remember where I, where I ran across this idea. But the idea was it's not the plan. It's the planning. Amen. It's not the plan. The plan changes almost immediately when you start uh, start to implement it. Right. But it's all the work you've done thinking about that plan that prepares you to deal with the the things. Um, I have a lot of friends in the twelve step movement, and uh, one of the phrases I've learned from them is the inevitable setback. Mm. Um, and boy, in sports, <laughs> I don't care how good a, a team you have, how good a player you are, they're going to be setbacks. And the idea is to prepare for that, to recognize they're going to be setbacks, they're inevitable, and how can how we respond to them is going to be the key. Your national advisory board is full of coaches and players that have had a lot of setbacks, right? But how do they respond to them? You know that that's the key, and 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 that and that and that's it. And every time, you know, I've never gone into a game. I've always had a great game plan. But in the first quarter, all of a sudden, what you said, let's do, ain't working. So do you have the flexibility? Do you have the ability to make adjustments? And that's not in a business plan. You're a great, great point. I learned now. I'm writing that one down. I learned from you on that, Jim. So when you start PCA, I'm fascinated by this. What's the goal for you? What are you trying to do? 
Um, let me put a coda on that last thing, and then I'll answer that question. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to change the culture of youth sports, but, um, you know, Doc Rivers has been a big supporter of ours, and I know you and Kevin Eastman are close to Doc, and just a fantastic coach and mm-hmm. leader in person. Yes. And uh, one of his quotes is my, perhaps my favorite, it's one of my very favorite quotes ever. He said, "Everybody likes each other when things are going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when things go wrong and fall apart, that's when you learn what kind of a team you have. Right. And that that those kind of connections you make with people. Uh, we have a concept called uh, filling the emotional tank. Every kid has, every person has their emotional tank, like the gas tank in a car. And if it's not full, you're not going to be able to do well. Um, and that idea that uh, when things are going good, anybody can coach, uh, coach well. It's really when things go bad, and we really saw that with uh, with Doc rising to the occasion when the owner of the the previous owner of the uh, Clippers was uh, called out on racism, and and Doc stood up and really made things happen. Best coaching yeah, he ever your... did, I think. Right, that moment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, the question about what we're trying to do, um, I had. I got an MBA at Stanford in 86, and then I worked there for 10 years, and the concept of organizational culture was not well understood when I started there. And uh, I had a class from Joanne Martin, who was one of the early leaders in corporate culture. And and then I I went to work at Stanford after I got my MBA there at the business school. I was really uh, struck by the power of organizational culture and how, how important it was. So when I looked at youth sports and said, what's, what's the problem here? I see the, I see the symptoms of the problem. You know, parents yelling at, at officials and you know, uh, coaches not filling kids' emotional tanks but draining them. But what's the underlying problem? And I realized, uh, I believe it was a culture problem. There's what I call the entertainment sports culture, <clears throat> where it's about entertaining fans and the only way you really entertain fans is by winning. So it becomes a little bit of win at all costs. Um, and then what should youth sports be? And we evolved over time the idea that youth sports should be a development zone where the goal is to develop better athletes, better people. And we use sports. You try to win. It's not winning doesn't matter. We're not saying that. Uh, trying to win pursuing excellence, that's all very important. But the underlying goal is to create better people. Yeah, no, that, that when you when you started this, what was the biggest obstacles or, or roadblocks from a pushback maybe from the outside community or a world that you that you came across? Because there, there is a, sometimes in every great business it starts. What were your pushbacks? You know, the, 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 Obstacles really were more internal than anything. Okay. Um, I, I I grew up a small town kid from North Dakota, and um, raised as a perfectionist, and so making mistakes and you know being out there doing something new without knowing what to do that was terrifying. I I moved from Stanford Business School where I had an office that was filled. Students were always coming through and. Uh, I ran the public management program to get students interested, business students who are going to be very successful people later in their life, to get them excited about public service. <laughs> and I was in, I was in the center of lots and lots of activity. And then I, uh, when I started Positive Coaching Alliance, 
Ted Leland, who was the athletic director, created a job for me, and I moved over to this very dark office <laughs> across campus. <clears throat> My phone, I could dial out, but nobody, when it called back, didn't ring, so I could never <laughs> receive calls. I had no internet connection. <clears throat> but I did have a couch in that office, and I ended up spending a lot of time lying on that couch <laughs> in, the fetal, in the fetal position, thinking, like, what have I done here? <laughs> so that that fear... And then I, uh, Dan Whalen, who was one of my early board members, still a board member, uh, and a good friend, uh, I called him up and I was so discouraged. This was like, you know, six, eight, ten months into this. And we had lunch and I said, you know, what? he was a very successful businessman, entrepreneur, and I said, what do you remember about the early days of your starting your company? And he said, I remember I was weary all the time. And that was so... Uh, encouraging to me because I felt exhausted so much of the time, not not even so much physical exhaustion, but just emotionally. Um, and and I really, you know, it's like this is something I want to do, so I'm going to keep keep going with it. And you know, uh, Brandon, if I could keep going a little bit sure. um, on, on this line, <clears throat> we um, the uh, the idea of culture, the the definition of culture we use is culture is the way we do things here. And what what I'd realized recently and actually working on a uh, an article on this is that culture the way most people think about culture it's mostly about the way we do things here. And what's what's missing in the equation is there but it's overlooked a lot is who is the we that's doing that uh, that way? Who is the we? And thinking about our culture at Positive Coaching Alliance, last year we were named by Nonprofit Times as one of the top nonprofits to work for, which is something I'm really proud of because mm-hmm. the way they determine that is they survey all your staff totally anonymously so your staff can say whatever they want about you. <laughs> and um, the, you know that, that culture is important, the way we do things. But then the question is, sometimes we the way we want to do things requires us to grow, that we can't uh, right off the bat, we can't do the culture the way it should be done because we haven't grown enough. And so really focusing on who the we is, who we want to become, so that, and then there's that uh, connection between culture and, and identity, like the culture helps us become the person we want to be, and then as we become the person we want to be, it helps us inform the culture. Do you ever pinch yourself and say, how the hell did it grow this big and how did it happen like this? And so it's organically grown, really. And, you know, and what would you say are the three most important things that you guys have accomplished? I'm, I'm looking at all the things on your website that you've done. It's, it, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of, you know, programs you're putting out a year and things like that, it's staggering. What are you most proud of? Yeah, well, um, you know, we, this year, uh, yesterday was the end of our fiscal yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, today's September 1st, the beginning. We did almost 3,000 live workshops around the country last year. Um, I'm very proud of that, and I'm very proud of the organization and the quality of people in our organization that could deliver 3,000 live workshops. Because if you think about it, the, the coaches or parents or athletes, whoever you're working with, they've got to be there. So there's logistics there. The trainer has to get to the right place. <laughs> the uh, the books that we use <clears throat> have to be there. It's a lot of logistics, so mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that. Um, I would say our signature accomplishment is, I feel like we've led uh, and contributed to, I don't want to take all the credit, because you know, I, I recently wrote an op-ed about Phil Jackson's 
contribution to youth sports. Right. And he certainly was part of that, and he got involved with, with Positive Coach Alliance and became a really strong supporter of mine and advisor early on. <clears throat> but I think we've, we've led a sea change in the idea of what good coaching is. That, and I was, I was counseled by people when I started this Positive Coaching Alliance. That's, that's, that's really not the right name. <clears throat> Shouldn't it be the Effective Coaching Alliance uh, or something like that? And I felt so strongly that, that negativity <clears throat> was what caused kids to, to not do well and, and doubt themselves, and, and that relentless positivity was so important. And 20 years ago, when, before we started, you know, we could think about who the, you know, some of the, the most uh, prominent coaches were then, <clears throat> and nobody would say that they were positive people. They were, uh, you know, they, they won and they were effective in a sense. Uh, and now you look at who the, the coaches are who are really renowned. You think about Steve Young, I'm sorry, Steve Kerr and, and um, you know, Doc Rivers, as we talked about. Um, there's so many examples of really positive coaches, and I think, I think that's what I'm most proud of is that the idea of what good coaching is has shifted from being got to be hard on the kids and to being positive coaching is what gets the best out of kids. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I often say that, uh, and it really came from uh, Jack Welch, the, you know, great CEO of uh, GE years ago, and, you know, and someone wrote and asked him, uh, what makes a good leader? Uh, he was moving from a salesman to a sales manager, and the, the letter was writing into Jack, and he said, what advice do you have for me? That was the question. And it was one of the best coaching things I've ever read. And it was when you become a leader, it's not about you anymore. It's about the people that work for you. And I think that is the whole key to coaching. It's not about me. It's about my players. It's when I'm a parent. It's not about me. It's about my children. And I think it's the same thing that we have to. And that's why I always say in business, in parenting, or in coaching, it's the same skill set. And I think I think you're 100 percent right. I think it is positive coaching. I, I think that is that doesn't mean we don't get mad. That doesn't mean we're not demanding. It, it but it means that we're fair. We're consistent. Uh, our friend Joe Ehrman, one of your board members, is a dear friend, and Joe is about loving your players. I think you know John Gordon about loving tough. You know you can be tough on kids and all that, but you gotta you can be that when they know you love them. And I think that is, that's one of the most profound things. And we never would ever have a male coach ever tell a male player that I love him. Not acceptable. I don't know if a day goes by when I don't tell a player I love him or the coaches I, I think, work with. <laughs> I, think, I think Joe Ehrman is one of the great men of our time. Yep. And he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, I remember a friend of mine sent me a, excuse me, a videotape of Joe on uh, Bryant Gumbel's Real Sports many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it opened up with Joe and, and Biff Pogge, his, um, his uh, coach, uh, that he was coaching with, yep. saying to their players, <clears throat> what, you know, what's our job as coaches? And the kid's saying, to love us. What's your job as players? To love each other. It's, it's hard to realize, remember, how shocking that was at the time. Totally. <clears throat> yep. It's too big football coaches, Joe, who's been in the NFL and, uh, you know, all-star saying that. And I really, I really lay the credit 
just like I feel like we at Positive Coaching Alliance have, have some credit about changing the idea about what good coaching is, I really lay the, the credit to Joe uh, about making it okay, not even not only okay, but um, a crucial part of developing a great team culture to, to, to use words like love and to say, I love you and I want you to love each other. Uh, I just have infinite admiration for Joe. Yeah, and I, and I think that is, uh, you know, that in, and I don't know if I've ever been part of a great team, great team, where the players haven't loved each other. And sometimes it happened despite coaching, right? <laughs> but the legacy of that those teams is that they truly do love and care about each other when they see each other 20, 25 years later because it's so deeply embedded in them, the caring that they have for each other. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. This is absolutely fascinating. Tell me, now you're working on a new book, and I loved when you shared with me some of the ideas about this. Uh, and I talked to you about the uniqueness of who you are and and some of your ideas. Can you share you know, some of these ideas of you know what makes up the culture you know, of, 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 of these teams that we're trying to build and of these athletes that we're trying to lead. You bet. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm working on a book on team culture and, um, I have to, I have to say it's been slow going. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe my earlier books were, um, were just as, uh, took just as long and, and seemed as difficult, but I don't remember them that way, <clears throat> but looking at what, what makes a, what, what, what is a, an effective team culture. What causes a team to be able to really inspire its members to, to be the best that they can be, <clears throat> not just to do the best they can do, but to be the best person they can be. And, you know, it starts with uh, creating a caring climate. Uh, you mentioned that our national advisory board for positive coaching lines has, you know, Phil Jackson and Brad Stevens and, and uh, doc and Steve Kerr, many great coaches and athletes. Uh, but it also has some of the greatest academics in the country who are studying this. And Mary Fry, who's at the University of Kansas, uh, we're just opening uh, a, a PCA center at the University of Kansas this, today, this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, she's done Her work has been around caring climates and how you, like she says, she'll go to, she'll go to the first uh, practices of teams 
ranging from little kids up to college college uh, players. And the coaches uh, start uh, really, really out, this is a, a Joe Ehrman term, in a transactional way, do this, do that. <clears throat> and what you want to do is from the very beginning create a caring climate. So you're, you're greeting your players by name. You're, you're asking them to pair up and you give them a question like, you know, what's your favorite food? Now that seems, uh, in one sense, it seems irrelevant to being a good basketball team or a good football team, but knowing what your, what your teammates like, what's important to them, uh, is part of, uh, is part of developing that caring culture. And then, uh, Jack Bowen, who is, um, uh, our, He's a winner of our National Double Bowl Coach Award from several years ago. He's a water polo coach at Menlo School here in the Bay Area. Um, he has something he calls an appreciation drill. He'll have the, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be working out really hard, and, and then he'll say, appreciate. And the kids pair up, and they talk to each other. They've got a couple minutes to say, this is what I appreciate about you, and the other one, this is what I appreciate about you. And what Jack says is, by the time the season starts, they are so tight with each other. They, they trust each other. They've filled each other's emotional tanks. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the source. He says he's a great coach, and technically the X's and O's of water polo and all that stuff. But what he would say is that that culture of caring is what really propels his team. So I, I love uh, Steve Kerr, I think, as I, you know, I think is probably in the NBA. Uh, probably and, and and Doc, but Steve especially uh, has brought into coaching. Where a guy he had never coached before, he had been coached. That was a key thing. He had been coached by Phil, by Pop, and now all of a sudden he's getting his chance. And now he says, and "Here's Lute Olson also." And Lute Olson, another great one, and and now says, "I'm going to come in, and I'm going to create my own caring climate." And I think maybe I know he's got great players. But I think that climate that he has created in Golden State is as responsible for why they handle the ups and downs, you know, of the 100-game-plus season. And I think it's just a credit to Steve and his teams, the way they play with such happiness and joy. And that I, I don't think we see in sport enough. Yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, people have... Um have poo-pooed Phil Jackson's accomplishments over the years. Like, oh, if I had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, if I had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, I could, I could win too. Well, the the reality was other people did have them and they weren't, they weren't (laughs) able to win. Um, And that, that positive approach that, that um, Steve, you know, Steve learned from three of the best. I, I'm a big Lute Olson fan because he's from North Dakota. I'm from North Dakota, as is Phil Jackson. And, and there aren't that many of us. Uh, North Dale Dakota Brown. Too. Dale Brown. Dale Brown at LSU, yeah, where you, you spent a lot of time. Yep. Um, you bet. Um, but Steve, I think, you know, he uh, when I spent time with him, he, he really talked about uh, Pete Carroll <clears throat> at the Seahawks. And he and Pete became good friends. He went up there and spent several days watching them practice. And um, you know, if there's if there's anybody who has more fun coaching than Pete Carroll, I'm not sure who it is. Yeah. And one of the things that really struck me when the you know the tra- the this heartbreaking loss where they were on the one yard line against the Patriots and threw an interception and um, you know it looks like it looks like there was no way they could not win the Super right. Bowl. And um, what amazed me about that was how quickly Pete was able to recover from that. 
that, you know, it's like that was the kind of thing that could be a career defining in a very negative way um, that, uh, but he, he recovered from very quickly because of his commitment to positivity and, and uh, positive thinking. And Steve went and spent some time with him and what he came away and then trying to build my book on team coaching around the same idea or team culture is uh, what, what Pete said to Steve was, you know, boil your, your, uh, your, your values down to what's really important to you. Make them just a few, not a lot, and then do everything you do on the team should, should revolve around those values. And I use, uh, I use JMAC as an acronym to help me remember the warrior's values. J for joy, uh, M for mindfulness, uh, and it, mindfulness, I think, is something that, that Phil Jackson has yep. really promoted. Um, the next C is for compassion, and the last C is for competition. It's like, how, how many coaches would put competition kind of almost as an afterthought? It's like joy, mindfulness, compassion. Um, and the thing about, you think about Kevin Durant going to the, the Warriors. Uh, I remember talking with, with Bill Walsh. Years, uh, you know, he was a very strong supporter of ours very yep. early on. And a year or two before he died, I did an interview with him, and we were talking about the culture that the 49ers had developed. That every player in the NFL wanted to go to the 49ers. They, um, they, that was, they had the kind of culture. And we're in that situation now with the Warriors, I think, where Kevin Durant, <clears throat> he wanted to be part of that team. He wanted to be coached by, by Steve and his, his um, fellow coaches. And creating that kind of culture draws people. Um, so it's you know it's it's not so easy to win championships with great people if if or with great talent if a great talent doesn't feel connected and and cared about from each other. I think uh, Pete and uh, Steve have uh, understood that. Yeah, it's professional and it's winning is what we're paid to do and all that. But you know these are still big kids playing game. And so they want to make it fun for them. And that's why when you go into Pete's practice and many other coaches' practices now, the music is roaring. And, uh, for you know, for two reasons. Number one, they want them to have fun and they want them to be happy. And then this other one is it gets you to really focus because you have to really listen to your teammates talk over this music just like you would if there's 80,000 people in the stands. So I think it's it serves two purposes. And... Uh, and kudos to uh, to Pete, and I, you know, but I think that's how Pete leaves his life. You know, I've read his book Win Forever, and I'm a huge fan of his. You know, other coaches out there that you see that you embrace what they're doing. Well, you know, it's just at uh, Jerry Smith, who is the um, women's soccer coach at Santa Clara University, mm-hmm. big supporter of ours, also along with his wife uh, Brandy Chastain, <clears throat> and he has a coaching for life academy. Uh, and I, I went to his awards dinner last Friday night, and Jack Clark's was the keynote speaker. Jack is a the rugby. rugby coach yeah. at, at Cal, and I think one of the greatest coaches ever. Um, and I just love the fact that he was very successful before he ever ran across PCA, but he gives us a lot of credit for becoming more positive. Uh, he, he said, you know, I would things are going bad at practice, and I'm, I'll, I'll stop practice, and I'll bring the players over and I'll yell at them. And he said, never once did that make things better. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I went to a positive coaching Alliance workshop. It was actually for the, the, the sports camp staff at 
Strawberry Canyon at Cal. And he heard about it, and he's always trying to learn, so he went to it. And so he, he, he said, uh, you know, now when things are going bad, I'll, I'll look for something positive, and, and that turns it around. And he said something in his remarks Friday night that really uh, stuck with me. He said, what is mental toughness? Mental toughness is being ready to do the next most important thing. And that just really struck me. Like mental toughness, we, we confuse intensity and, and toughness a lot of the time. Somebody's, you know, the team isn't doing well and the coach really comes down on them. Well, that's not, that's not discipline. That's not toughness. It's easy to get angry with your players when they're not playing well. Right. What's the, what's the most important next thing to do? And to be able to clear away your emotions, your anger, your insecurity, and, and focus on what the next most important thing to do. We say that um, you know a mistake is a time machine. It takes you out of the present and puts you in the past. I make a mistake, and now my negative self-talk kicks in. I'm starting to beat myself up. So we have to have a, a mistake ritual, like flushing mistakes, to help us get back into the present. Um, and if we're if we're um, if we're negative around that, that just creates a, a downward cycle. And I, mean, I mentioned that we have some of the, the best uh, <clears throat> academics in the country. Uh, Barbara Fredrickson at North Carolina, who wrote a book called Positivity, um, she she coined the term upward spiral. We we all heard about downward spirals and things go bad and then they get worse. And then you start yelling at your players and it gets worse and worse. That positive emotions, helping your players refocus on the next most important thing can create that upward spiral. And that, I think, is, is a really huge idea. Great idea. Love it. You know, I think uh, we talk about our athletes when they do make a mistake. That You just brought something to my mind is uh, when an athlete does make a mistake, the key for that athlete to be successful, whether it's Russell Westbrook or just a, you know, twelfth man on a team, uh, you know, he makes a mistake, and then how quickly can he recover? You know, we all coaches are taught now to say to their players, "Next play, move on to the next play." But and you know, but does that linger with that player that it takes him one, two, three? Does it take him a whole series in football? to get himself back from that mistake. I watched an Indiana-Ohio State game last night. Player drops the ball wide open. You know, what? how does that player come back? And and it's really hard to come back when you've just been screamed at, yelled at, embarrassed in front of the whole stadium for something that you knew was a mistake. So I think the, the really great coaches in the future are the ones that will understand that when their player makes a mistake, they have two, three, or four seconds to react. And what they do in those two, three, or four seconds will determine the fate of that player. If they scream, yell, and embarrass, the results are not going to be good. But if they encourage or emphasize, as Pete Carroll likes to teach, emphasize the process of maybe you made a mistake because you ran the wrong route, Go 10 yards instead of 8 yards, etc. Correct the mistake. Coach, do not embarrass. And I think it's really, really important. And I think because we have no training in coaching for the most part, (laughs) that most coaches don't understand psychology, most coaches don't understand reaction, 
they just they've been you know unconsciously competent they think and uh, that's why we have the dilemmas we have in coaching I think and emba- embarrassment and abuses by coaches on players that's a mouthful I know I'm sorry I think the that's why I think the foundation of a, of a strong team culture is that caring climate that when you when you when your players know you care about them, when they know their teammates care about them, <clears throat> then it's easier to bounce back from a mistake. You, know, you, you talked about next play. Um, we say the always most important play. We ask, ask coaches, what's the always most important play? And often they get it, sometimes it takes them a while. It's always the next play. It's not the last play. Um, and you want to you wanna keep track of, as a coach, <clears throat> you want to, what are the things they need to teach next week and they need to work on it so you're, you're keeping track of those things but you're constantly focusing on what do we need to do now and that goes back to Jack Clark's thing mental toughness is being able to do the next most important thing um, yeah and I think that you know you think about to be, to be uh, a barber you have to you have to go through you know, a lot of training and and uh, get a certification to be a coach. You don't have to do any of that. So mm. That's really one one reason why we started Positive Coaching Alliance. To um, again, I said before, I think youth sports is a major institution in this country and one of the most important. If we're talking about dealing with the very serious problems we have in the future, and I think you know, thinking about the, just the the tragedy that's happening in Houston right now. Yep. <clears throat> um, the they're going to be they're going to be situations like that coming up in the future, and if we don't have people who are uh, people of character and leaders of character um, to help us uh, get get through those problems, um, it's going to it's it's not going to be a, a pretty future for a country. Jack Clark has this great quote also I love. He said, "Our problems aren't going to be solved by one or two smart people." They're going to be solved by teams of people standing shoulder to shoulder with their noses pointed in the same direction, working together, and that's what you learn in team sports. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we've got to we've got to do a better job of reaching coaches, getting them to see themselves as people who whose job it is to elevate the people around them, to create athletes who are we call triple impact competitors who elevate themselves, elevate their teammates, elevate the game by the way they compete. And imagine if we, and we use the shorthand elevator for a triple impact competitor, elevator with an ER, a new new word. Um, what if we had hundreds of thousands of kids coming out of high school who saw themselves as triple impact competitors? My job in every situation is to look around and see how can I elevate this situation? Um, you know, my teammates down. Um, emotionally down. How can I elevate her so that she's, um, you know, ready to, for that next play? And then, as adults, we're looking around and saying, "What can I do to elevate the situation?" You know, um, Brandon, I've, I, I've, I've adopted the identity of an elevator. I want to be an elevator, and the place I have the heart that I, I want to. Every situation I'm in, I want to say, "What can they do to elevate the situation?" And you know the place I have the hardest time doing that is in airports. You know, I'm coming home, I'm exhausted, the plane is delayed, the plane got shifted across the, you know, to a different terminal, I've got to walk. Um, and 
that's where the rubber meets the road. For yeah. me. you know, there's this long line of people, and there's this poor woman who works for the airline who's trying to deal with people, and they're so nasty to her. And so I really, um, you know, I'm, I'm not happy either, but I really make a point of saying that, hey, you know, this must be really hard for you. I really appreciate your help. And uh, just looking around, how can I elevate every situation I'm in? That's great. That is great. Boy, there are a few of you out there, though, and, uh, and I know that, you know, especially in times like we're going through now, any time, you know, that you're, you're doing it, people only think, the, the people that get pissed off out there are the ones that just think of themselves and how it affected me. And I almost always say, you never were on a team, were you? You never were on a team. You think everything is about you. You know, and and those are the ones that struggle. Hey, what's what? Let me ask you this. I'm fascinated by this. What's the dream going forward for you? So we're we're working with um, a couple of ideas that are really powerful. <clears throat> um, Bill Damon, who's at Stanford's Center of Adolescence uh, on a National Advisory Board, he wrote a book called The Path to Purpose, and he says that purpose is the number one long-term driver in people's lives. And only about 20% of the kids in this in our country have a sense of purpose beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. And I read some recently that the number one cause of death in adolescence is accidents, and number two is suicide, high levels of depression. You know, our kids, uh, kids in this country are in trouble. And part of it stems from not having a sense of purpose. <clears throat> um, so working with that idea, and then the power of identity, the... Um, when Jim March, who is a, was a mentor of mine, he's almost 90 now, uh, but I still talk to him regularly. He's advising me. He was at Stanford Business School, and he said there's two ways to change behavior. One is through carrots and sticks. Uh, you, you do what I want you to do, uh, reward you, do what, uh, you know, don't do it, I punish you. Um, the better way to get people to change their behavior is to change their view of who they are, change their identity. <clears throat> and, um, I, I, the story I, I got from a coach many years ago, way before Positive Coaching Alliance, he, he was a basketball coach, I think in Ohio, and I, 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 I've lost his name. I'd love to reconnect with him, but I just can't remember who he is. <clears throat> they said he had he took his five weakest players, uh, not, I don't want to say weakest, the five last players off the bench, and he said, you guys are the mad dogs. Um, gave them an identity. You're going to play the last minute of the first quarter and the first minute of the second quarter in every game. Preseason games, if we're playing for the state championship, you're going to play those two minutes. <clears throat> so what happened was they embraced this identity of being a mad dog. They started working much harder in practice because they knew they were going to play, which made their teammates better. <clears throat> then um, some of them, these, these low-talent, so-called low-talent players, some of them actually improved to the point they became starters. And where at the beginning it was, they um, you know they they might they might detract from the competitiveness of the team, but eventually they added those two minutes. They're all over the floor. Um, so that idea of the power of identity, which has been backed up by research on voting, uh, you take you know thousands of these researchers took thousands of registered voters and they called half of them and said, how important is it for you to vote in the upcoming election? The other half, they asked, how important is it for you to be a voter in the upcoming election? That simple turn of phrase, the identity of being a voter, caused that second group to um, to go out to vote at a much higher level than the first. Hmm. So there's this huge, huge power of identity, 
giving kids a sense of purpose and wanting to build that around our model of a triple impact competitor, someone who elevates himself, elevates teammates, elevates the game, and becomes a citizen who elevates himself, continues, elevates family and coworkers and friends, but then also elevates the community and the larger society. That, I think, is the, the promise of youth sports. If we can, if we can use youth sports to develop these triple impact competitors who are looking to elevate, it can make a huge difference in our society. Brother, let me tell you, we we could talk for about two more hours. Uh, this has been absolutely fascinating, and, and and for our listeners, we we went for about forty five minutes before we even went on the air, and I wish that was on tape too because that was phenomenal. Uh, but Jim, thank you so much for sharing with our audience. We're going to do this again because I believe so much in PCA and what your mission is, what your values are. It, it's what we need, and. Uh, proud to be involved with you guys and uh, it's, uh, and it's an honor and with so many of our faculty members of coaching you part of this from John Gordon to Brad Stevens to my friend Doc and and uh, Steve Kerr and all, all so many guys football guys that are friends Tony Dungy's a dear friend I recruited t- Tony as a high school player to try to come and play for Dick Vitale and I at uh, the University of Detroit he said I don't want to play for you or Dick Vidal, no, but Tony is a dear friend, and <laughs> and uh, and he told he said we well, don't have football, and, and I said we'll make football for you, Tony. But he, you know, you got all the people that are change their world changers, and uh, and that's why you know the good Lord is blessing you with doing something special. So thanks again for sharing, Brendan. Uh, let me let me sit right back to you. I think what you and Kevin Eastman have done is with coaching you is really fabulous, and I, I think I mentioned to you earlier that. I just uh, retweeted or tweeted a, uh, a quote from Kevin in a workshop he was giving where he said, you know, if, you're, if you've got players who are uh, focused on the officials making bad calls and they're riding the officials, it's like you're, you're going three, to five, three versus five or four on five because their head's not in the game. And these are so many uh, valuable things that come from uh, the work you're doing. I'm, I'm really pleased to be on this and we'll come back anytime you want me to well we're going to take you up on that and uh, again thank you thank you so much and i know our listeners are going to value this and uh, and if they want to get in touch with the pca or any of our coaches or they want to you know try to become trainers and stuff how, how do they go about that our website is www.positivecoach.org uh, my email is jim at positivecoach.org, um, and um, you know, if people want to get involved, uh, they can go to the website and learn more and figure out how to do it, or pop me an email. Um, we we're trying to create a movement. We're not just an organization. I'm really proud of our organization, but we're we, we can't change the culture of youth sports with just an organization. It's got to be a movement. So we we want lots of people to get involved. Well, uh, hopefully, a lot of our coaches who are who are game changers and culture changers, will get involved even more. So, again, thank you. Thank PCA for everything you're doing, and we believe in what you're doing, and uh, we're just trying to be a good teammate and, and learn from you guys. So thanks again. I appreciate you. My pleasure.